Have a seat, everyone. Welcome to Inside Out again. It's nice to see you guys tonight. Glad you joined us for youth group and worship and everything that we've done here. So we're starting a new series tonight, kind of a two to three week series that I want to look at walking into the Christmas season. <clears throat> I think every pastor on the planet has this challenge when it comes to holidays. We try our best to try to bring something new in the idea of stories that get told every year, right? So every one of us in here know what Christmas is about, right? It's the birth of Jesus, manger scene, all that type of stuff, okay? But what I wanna do tonight, I wanna start to dissect the manger scene, okay? Over the next couple of weeks, I wanna look at what the manger scene provides us when we look at that, so that when you guys are driving by like my house and you see a manger scene out in front of my house, you'll be able to know what that's all about, okay? So what I wanna do tonight, we're gonna be talking about this idea of hope, but not just hope so, hopeful, wishful thinking is going to be biblical hope that we're going to look at. So Corey, if you would bring this slide up for me, I'm trusting you, Corey Worthen, that you're doing this nicely to me. Thank you. See how nice that is? So here's my, he was going to put Yoda up there. That's what he threatened me with earlier. So I didn't know what picture we'd see. So when you guys look at that, very popular scene, <laughs> atheists all over the world fight against this scene, this manger scene that we're looking at on the screen with baby Jesus and Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and the wise men. And we're going to break this down the next three weeks. But I want you guys' participation for a second. What do you, tell me what you see when you look at that. What do you see? Don't be afraid, there's no right or wrong answer. I'm going somewhere with this, obviously, but what do you see? Mary and Joseph. What else? Baby Jesus. The three wise men are in there. What else? A star. Those are all correct. <laughs> There's no right or wrong answer. So what else do you see? Shepherds. Shepherds' staff coming in from the field. The manger. A stable. A cave, whatever that is that he would have been born in at that time. Here's what God laid on my heart. The other day I was driving. I was coming down the highway out here, just about ready to turn into the parking lot. God laid this scene on my heart. Do you know what he told me that is? That's a promise kept. I want you guys to realize tonight, if you don't get anything else out of the scripture, two things I would tell you, you've heard me talk about this before. The way we know the Bible is true by fulfilled prophecy. The series title is gonna be Christmas's, Christmas Promises Made and Kept. That's what we're gonna look at for the next few weeks. Christmas Promises Made and Kept. And we're gonna look through scripture tonight real briefly and we're gonna go through this. And looking at that picture, that's a promise that God made in the Bible, and that is a promise that God kept and revealed to us through the Bible. So when you look at the manger scene this year and you think about this idea of Christmas, I want you to look at that and go, that's how much God loves me. We see that in the sun. We'll talk about some of this tonight, but I want you to realize that's a promise made and kept. And I think that changes the dynamic of it because I look at it from a deeper perspective or a deeper level when I swallow the idea of that that way because it is true. And we want to look at this tonight, but I want to give you guys a little bit of background on what we'll be talking about to start with. But this idea of biblical hope. So this series is going to be called Promises Made and Kept, and this first week is going to be our hope. What is our hope in life as Christians? Where's our hope come from? What's it mean like? When you look at Santa Claus, you look at St. Nicholas, St. Nicholas was a real guy, okay? St. you don't ever wonder why we hang stockings up at, during Christmas? I'll give you guys a quick side note on this, okay? St. Nicholas, who was a real guy back in the 300s, 400 BC, somewhere right, or AD, somewhere right in there, St. Nicholas was a young man whose family was very wealthy. 
dad and mom left him all the money. Well, he wanted to do something kind with it. So this guy named St. Nicholas, or uh, Sinterklaas is how they say it in Dutch, is a real guy. So what he did is the story goes this way. There was a dowry that a dad didn't have the opportunity to pay. You had to pay to have your daughters married off in that day. So he had three daughters. The story goes that St. Nicholas was walking down the road and he was a very wealthy person. So he took sacks of gold and he knew this family's need and he went through in the middle of the night and he threw sacks of gold in the window, three sacks. And those three sacks of gold, the story goes, landed in each one of those girls' stockings as they were drying their stockings by the fire. And those sacks of gold went in there. So that's where the, the story builds from there. That's why we hang stockings by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas would soon be there. In what? Hopes that St. Nicholas would soon be there. We hope for things, don't we, in this life? There's nothing wrong with that. Hoping for things is exactly what we should be doing. But biblical hope is different than I just hope it doesn't snow tomorrow. Last Wednesday night when we were getting ready to go to Billings for Thanksgiving, I was hoping it wouldn't snow in the morning. Guess what? I got up in the morning, there was snow on the ground. That hope was not fulfilled. I hope this St. Nicholas will hang stockings by the chimney with care. Last time I checked, St. Nicholas ain't cruising by my house. He's dead. I, I had to share this, this at chapel this morning. I shared kind of this thought, and I had to be very careful because there's little bitty kids in there looking at me like Santa Claus to them is still a thing, right? I love Christmas. I love Santa Claus. I love all the things it brings, but it struck me this year. Do you realize what God's done for us? This is crazy when you think about it. So biblical hope we'll look at tonight. Our world is in desperate need of hope. Yes? Here's how I know that. Culture is doing their dead level best to kick God out of the conversation. It's doing its dead level best to get God out of the schools. Who goes to a public school in this here? Raise your hand. You listen to me, God's still in the school system. Why? Because you guys are there. They might try to take him out of the curriculum, but they can't take him out of your heart. So if you guys are going to school, you're, God's still in the school system. Make sense? So the light still shines brightly in the darkness of the hallways of school. But watch this. As If I have a scale in the front of the room, and that scale is weighed between Christianity and the things of the world, the, the more culture tries to kick Christianity to the curb, the more people, you look at the percentages, it's like down in the 30s for people who are confessing to be Christians. And I would even say it's probably lower than that for people who are actually following Christ. But as Christianity gets kicked out of the culture, the scale starts to do this. And the world's system starts to take more influence. Now think about this. I'm gonna talk about this at the end of the night. Depression, cutting, suicide, loneliness, all these things in our culture are becoming more and more prevalent because we're taking God out of the equation. We're taking the morality of God and the spiritual beliefs of God and we're kicking it to the curb and something's happening. And what happens is the depravity of the human heart starts to take over. It's not just void, so we need hope. But I don't want this to be a wishful thinking hope. I want this to be hope that scripture teaches me. And the hope of the Bible is this. It's a fulfilled promise that, or it's, it, hope is in regards to a promise made by God. And a lot of the hope that we have are the promises already fulfilled by God. See, we know the rest of the story we'll talk about tonight. We know all this stuff already. This is where we find our hope. So if you're hopeless and you've run out of hope, you have to ask yourself this. Where's my perspective? What's my, where are my eyes looking at? 
Because when you look at the story we're gonna look at tonight in the book of Isaiah, it makes it very clear what the world was going through. I'll give you a little bit of context. The purpose of the book of Isaiah is that all to call Judah back to God. Judah was the southern kingdom of Israel. And they had gone astray just like the northern kingdom have, okay? And they, this, the book of Isaiah was written to bring Judah back home. That they would come back and they would realize that God's salvation through the Messiah was gonna take place. Listen to this. This is what he knows. He would, he would, the Messiah would save them from their enemies. So Judah, a tribe of Israel, the southern tribe, had enemies attacking them all around at this time. And they believed the Messiah would save them from their enemies. Ooh, listen to me. Who's Jesus Christ? He's our Messiah. What did he come to do? Seek and save the lost. And keep us and rescue us from what? The devil's ways, from our sin. He came to save us from our enemies. So when you think about this book of Isaiah that we'll dig into in here in just a second, this is a very real thing. And they were in deep, deep despair. But I want to give you guys a couple of things. If you turn to your bulletins, I want to give you guys a couple of ideas on this, this idea of biblical hope for a second, okay? <clears throat> biblical hope, is, like I said, is the expectation that all of God's promises will soon, for, to us and for us, will soon be realized. With God, there is hope, not mere optimism. Look at me. Get this, please. It's not wishful thinking and mere optimism when we think about the promises that God makes us in the scripture. It's a very real thing. We're gonna have disappointments, but God's the one that's gonna get us through. Biblical hope allows us to see our lives in situations from a different perspective. Biblical hope, knowing that God promises never to leave me or forsake me. He never promised to fix everything, but we sure put that at his feet. Why isn't God fixing this? God never promised to, but he promised to be with it through me with everything I went through. That's one thing God promised to us. So it, it goes to the idea that my circumstance when I pray, I've taught you guys this before and I'll say it again tonight. When I pray and I go before the Lord about a circumstance or situation I might have before me, that doesn't always change, does it? But what God does is he, he adjusts my heart to deal with that circumstance to his glory. Sometimes the circumstance changes. Sometimes the mountain does move. And sometimes it doesn't, but I do know God's there with me. And as long as I got a perspective of my eyes fixed on Christ, as I look at my circumstance, watch now, it becomes this way. The horizontal temporal stuff I deal with, I look at it from eternal perspective. I look at it from an eternal perspective. So what I'm dealing with here, I keep Christ in mind. I've got victory over that, even if it doesn't go the way I want it to. I've got victory. Why? Because I have hope. I have biblical hope. So what I want to do tonight is I'm going to give you three things out of the book of Isaiah real quickly that are going to show you examples of what biblical hope looks like, okay? The first one is this, the coming of the Son, the Son being capital S-O-N. In Isaiah 7, 14, it says this. Remember now, I, southern tribe of Judah, Judah is being attacked by everyone, okay? Here's what Isaiah, God tells Isaiah to share with them. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. So why is that such a big deal? This is one of the clearest prophecies in scripture about the coming Messiah, the one that was gonna save them, the one that was gonna rescue them from their enemies. Now they had it wrong. They thought it was gonna be a political thing. Jesus had it right. He came to seek and save that which was lost from sin. One of the clearest things that you'll ever see with this prophecy about the Messiah is found here. And it, what this did is it gave Judah a hopeful solution in the midst of their trials and tribulations that they were going through, the looming problems that they had. Now watch, 
when you go through trouble, your hopeful solution is not getting through your circumstance and situation. Your hopeful solution is knowing you have the one true living God with you. Our living hope that we sang about earlier, you guys, our living hope is Jesus Christ. Out of all the isms in the world, out of all the religions in the world, we can ring the bell that our Savior is alive. He's living, and he lives in you when you're a Christian. He's our living hope. So we gotta make sure we're doing that. This prophecy is fulfilled now. So I'm talking about prophecy. In Isaiah 7, 14, if you ever wanna convince someone that the Bible's true and it's accurate, here's how you do it. And Isaiah 7, 14 was written around 780 BC, before Christ. 780, 700 years before Jesus was born, this prophecy was made to Israel. Now, turn to your bulletins. It says in Matthew 1, chapter 1, verse 21 through 23, watch this. This is fulfilled prophecy. God made the promise in Isaiah. You see the promise being fulfilled in Matthew, and it says this. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will what? Save his people from their sins. And this, all this took place, watch, to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, that being Isaiah, 700 years earlier, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with, God's with us. So you think about that. How many virgins gave birth to a son over the span of thousands of years? One. This is not an accident. It's not coincidence. It is fulfilled promises of God. Promises made, promises kept. So when you go back to your bulletin again and go to the second thing, or here, I wanna share this with you. When you get discouraged, remember that God's timing is perfect also. Galatians 4.4 says, God, Jesus was sent at the perfect time. At just the right time, God the Father sent his son to us. At just the right time. When we pray and we get discouraged, we're like, Lord, what is the deal? And if he's not answering my prayer, I have to trust his timing. And why is that so important? Because in scripture, you see his timing is perfect at just the right time. So why was Jesus brought to earth? Love. Because he loves you. I heard it said this way one time and I added to it. Jesus is reason for the season. We're, Jesus is the reason for the season, yes? Our reason for the season is Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus' reason for the season is you. Do you realize, do you actually understand the depth of what God has done? That he sent his son from heaven to earth, baby in a manger in a cradle headed for a cross for you. And we question Christianity. Well, is it true? Yes, how do we know? Fulfilled prophecy is a pretty good way to find out. So when you really stop and think about the Christmas season and the promises that we see in this manger scene, it should change our behavior to honor God and to wanna have a deeper relationship with him to find out more about this one who, who sent his son to save me. So Jesus' reason for the season is us, John three sixteen. For God so what? Loved the world that he sent his only son, only begotten son that whoever believes in him will show what? Not perish, but have eternal life. Because he loves you. I hope you guys can see that, not just in the cross. You see it right there. God incarnate, which we'll talk about in just a second. Second thing is this is the character of the son. Isaiah 9, 6 says this, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, 
as his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I'm gonna back up earlier in this chapter for just a second, chapter nine of Isaiah, because this really struck me when I was studying this. Chapter nine, verse one of Isaiah, it's talking about, again, Judah. Nevertheless, there, gloom, there, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Listen to me. There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Why? Because for unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. That's the reason we don't have to have gloom anymore, you guys. Listen, Christians are gonna have bad days, you guys. Jesus makes it very clear. We're gonna have trials and tribulations, yes? Have anybody had a bad day besides me? Right? We're gonna have trials and tribulations, right? Jesus said it's clear, but take heart, have hope, I have overcome. So there's no more gloom for a Christian. Watch this, that word gloom really stood out to me on the page. It's okay for Christians to have bad days, you guys. We're gonna be discouraged, we're gonna be down, we're gonna be out, downcast, whatever word you wanna use, okay? But watch, there shouldn't be any gloom. Gloom's a whole different thing, isn't it? Gloom's almost like a darkness hanging over the top of you. When you think about gloom and despair, it's like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. Why don't I have gloom? Because I have hope. The hope of God's promise that he will never leave me and he will never forsake me. Submit to me, resist the devil, and he will flee. You draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. The crown of life is meant for those who endure till the end, who love God till the end. So when I'm in the middle of despair and tough times and discouraged, which I will be, Paul even says it this way, we despair it even unto life. But they didn't give up. Why? Because he knew Christ was in the middle of what they were going through. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, verse two says, and on those living in the, in, in the land of the deep darkness, a light shall dawn. You wanna see another fulfilled prophecy? Right here, switch to the other side of your bulletin. John chapter one, verses one through five. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. Not death, exactly like we sang about tonight. And that life was what? The light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now you go back and you look at it. What's it say? The people walking in darkness have what? Seen a great light. Who's the great light? Christ. Jesus. He's the great light, so when I'm in the middle of darkness, it leaned into one of those ideas in the song we sang earlier tonight, that idea of when you're down and you're in despair and you don't know what else to say and you can't find a word to speak to God, just say Jesus. Why? Because in the middle of my darkness, the name Jesus brings light. And I remember the promises God made to me. And through those promises I remember, he fulfills those promises in his good timing. I can find hope. I don't let the darkness overcome me. That's the importance of the Christmas story is there's light. In the first few words of verse, uh, that chapter, verse six of chapter nine, for unto us a child is born and the son is given. This is critical, watch this. You see humanity and deity in this. His humanity is a child was given. A child was given. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God incarnate, God in skin, in flesh, that's Jesus. Then you see his, his deity. God gave his only son 
to us. A son was given, because if you look in the New King James Version and probably the New American Standard, child and son are both capitalized. That means he's deity. That means you guys were not just promised through Jesus good times by someone who's just walking around on earth. You're promised by God. Jesus is God in flesh. How do we know that? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Emmanuel is that baby right there. God with us. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That's who he is. That's his character. But the prince of peace stands for just because we have peace does not mean it's going to be easy. But we have peace in our hearts with God knowing that everything is going to be okay. The message of the hope was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. Hope that God is with us. The third thing, and I'll close it off real quick here and give you guys your small group. The third thing you find in Isaiah 61.1, the conduct of the son. Isaiah 61.1 says this, the spirit, this is Isaiah now, same thing, 700 years before this happens, so hang on to this idea of fulfilled prophecy. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and to release them from the darkness uh, for the prisoners. Now watch, this is fulfilled in Luke chapter four, verses 18 and 19, Jesus says this about himself. He's standing in the synagogue and he's teaching this. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because, I, I, because he has anointed, he being God the Father, has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery to the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Again, Three prophecies right there tonight that we looked at. Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, and Isaiah 61. All fulfilled in the New Testament by who? That little baby right there in that manger. God in flesh. Fully human, fully God. That's our Savior. So when you guys look at this thing this year, I want you to realize, I want you to really allow God to show you and reveal promises made, promises kept. You go on and you see what his conduct is. He says, these, these, these verses speak of Jesus' ministry. He brings good news to the poor. God is our provider, comforter to the brokenhearted, and he releases those from the bondage of sin. And the, God's promises, you guys, are trustworthy and true. It's just up to you to believe them. It's up to you to receive the promises that God says. And in the middle of the darkness, there's shone, shone a great light. And that light was Jesus Christ and he's our savior. Turn to your small groups, discuss that a little bit and we'll come up here and close in a few minutes. Okay, if I can have you guys' attention, I got one other thing I wanna share with you guys tonight. But we just had a discussion at our table that this thought came up. And I'm gonna give it to the ladies and I'm gonna hand that thought over to the guys. Think about this. Mary would have been somewhere around 14 years old is what tradition would show us when she had the baby. So how do you think what type of life would Mary have to be living as a faithful Jewish young lady to have God pick her to be the Messiah's mom? And the question I would ask you ladies is, are you living that life? Are you living a life where God would pick you to be Jesus' mom? Because the gentlemen, like we talked about at our table, are we living a life where God would pick you to be the Messiah's stepdad or earthly father, if you will? Are you living your life in such a way that God would look down at your life and go, you know what? I like him. He's upright, he's righteous, he's being faithful to me. I'm gonna choose him to be the Messiah's dad, earthly dad. Can you imagine that? 
But that's the standard in which we start to look at in the Bible and how we live our lives, you guys. But here, I want to close with something tonight, and I, I hope this fits what I want to talk about tonight, because this idea of hope started with this idea that I'm about to share with you. And then God kind of put this whole idea of hope together in my mind, and it broke down to this message that I shared with you tonight. But I want to just go back to that scale for just a second. You see, in life, I see statistics that show all you guys at your age are lonely, you're in despair, you're cutting, self-harm, suicide is in an extremely high rate, and all because I believe the culture is kicking God to the curb. But listen to me, you don't have to do that. In your house and in your home and in your heart, you don't have to kick God to the curb. I don't care what they do in the culture. We don't have to cooperate with that. But let's say you are. This conversation in my head popped in. We might go a little bit long tonight, so bear with me a second because I think this is important because God laid this on my heart to begin with. I want to answer a question that some of you might have and some of you might not have, but I think you will have sometime in your life. This idea, if a Christian commits suicide, where do they go? I've had countless students ask me this question, and I want to share my thoughts with you according to the scripture on this tonight so that you can help other people avoid this type of conversation and remember the darkness and the lightness conversation. If a Christian takes their own life and commits suicide, which if you look at the definition of suicide, it is self-death, okay? What happens to them? What does the Bible say about that? And I'm here to tell you tonight that doctrinally there's two different looks at this. Those of the once saved, always saved people will say, well, you should never commit suicide, but if you do and you've given your life to Christ, you're good to go, you're in heaven. I don't believe that's true in the Bible. I believe you can walk away from your faith. That's why Jesus tells us, he gives us these warnings. If you do these things or if you don't do these things, you're my disciple. I'm of the opinion that you don't lose your faith, but you can walk away from it, okay? So we can't hang our hat on, to answer the question, we can't hang our hat on that because there's too many different things in the Bible that talk about that. Here's the other thing. In the Bible, you don't see anybody who is a believer take their own life. The people in scripture that have, we have examples of that have taken their own life are not walking well with the Lord, if I can put it that way, okay? So that's another thing. What I want you guys to do is think biblically as this conversation takes place so you find hope within it, okay? So let's look at what the Bible does make clear to us. The Bible does make clear to me that the sixth commandment, thou shalt not what? Murder. Suicide is a premeditated decision. It's a permanent decision in the midst of a very temporary situation. It's a permanent decision, okay? So the Bible makes it very clear that you shouldn't murder, which is self-death, self-suicide is taking oneself in their own hands and taking their life. Here's something else the Bible teaches us. In the book of 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter nine, or I think is where it's at, don't hold me down, maybe six. It says, you've been bought, if I'm a Christian, I'm going off of the Christian principle now, if I'm a Christian, I've been what? Bought with a price. My body is not my own. So therefore, I can't reach out and take it. Do you guys understand? When you're looking at the Bible, there's certain things we can hang our hat on. One thing we can't is, where do we go? I don't know the answer to that if I take my own life. I don't know. Hang on to that thought. So we're not supposed to murder. My body's not my own. It's been bought with a price that we talked about tonight, a high price. It's not mine to take. It's mine to give to God and bring glory to him through the way I live my life. The other thing, like I talked about, you look at, just take two people, King Saul and Judas in the Bible. Those are two of the people, I think there's five or seven of them that had taken their own life. They were not walking well with God. They were far apart from God when that happened. You see Paul, the apostle Paul say in scripture, we despaired unto life. 
In other words, they thought they were gonna lose everything, including their lives. And he said, but yet we had hope because we had Christ. Christ is my hope in the midst of the darkest situation. He's my light. You see Elijah, Jonah, and Moses in the Bible saying, Lord, take my life. I've had it. I can't do this anymore. Are you listening to me, you guys? You have good God-fearing heroes of faith going, Lord, take my life. I can't do this anymore. But you never see God snatching them up. He left them. He gave them rest, and he put them back to work. And they never lost faith in Christ. They never lost faith in God, as the Bible would say. The other thing in this is God numbers our days. Now, this is not a dogmatic statement. God has what we call foreknowledge. God's foreknowledge knows when I'm supposed to step off into heaven. He already knows the day I'm going to meet him. That plan's already probably been made. I'm living my life out for his glory, but God has what we refer to as foreknowledge. He knows the future of my life. He knows whether I will or won't do things. He watches me live this life. So in other words, in the Bible, in Hebrews chapter nine, it says this, it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. So when you look at all the Bible examples, thou shalt not murder, my body's not mine. People who committed suicide in scripture, the word suicide isn't even in scripture, but when they take their life, they were not walking well with God, they were far from God. The, the examples of people who were walking with God but hit such despair and discouragement, they're like, Lord, I'm done, take my life. He didn't take their life. We look at the Bible and it goes into the Bible and it says God numbers our days. I, God has foreknowledge, he knows how long I will live my life here. And it says in Hebrews chapter nine, it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Now look at me, we don't make the appointment. If God knows the numbers of my days and all of a sudden I try to make the appointment of when I'm gonna leave this earth in my earthly body and I'm gonna step off into eternity, I don't get to make that appointment, you guys. You have to realize that's why this idea of hope is so critically important to us. My hope is not in my circumstance or situation. My hope is in the joy Christ brings me, knowing that he's right there with me. He's the light in the darkness. When I speak the name of Jesus, in the darkest of moments, I have light. The appointment is not ours to make. Now, I want to give you guys a picture that God laid on my heart a while back. And man alive, I had two thoughts in my life that really came clear from God. One was on drinking, which is kind of a side note. And I was sitting in my chair one day, some of you heard me talk about this, and I thought, I'm home alone, I had this thought to myself, you know, if I opened up a cold Coors Light right here, nobody would know. And you know what God told me? How'd you like to meet me with beer on your breath? I don't know when I'm gonna meet God. So in my mind, I wasn't gonna drink, but in my mind, I'm just playing this around in my head. I had no intention to, but I thought, nobody's gonna know. And then God says, you know what? How'd you like to meet, with me? meet me with beer on your breath? And I thought, no, that would be horrible. Here's the other picture God gave me that is very clear. How'd you like to take your own life as a Christian? And I don't know where you go. I don't know your confession in your last breath. I don't wanna know, make sense? We cannot hang our hat as believers on one answer or the other to that question. But here's what I wanna lay a picture for you guys that God gave me. I've had enough. I've been in despair. I've had some tough times in my life. And let's just say I run into the wall and I choose suicide as an option. And all of a sudden, God's walking down the hall of heaven and he comes up to me and he looks at me and he goes, what are you doing here? I didn't call you home. We just saw, we just sang in Christ alone, my solid ground, he's my hope. 
And I would have to look, you hear me, look at me and listen to me very closely. I would have to say to God, I put my hope in death instead of in Christ. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to answer that question with God. So the whole point of this is, as a Christian, if they take their own life, where do they go? I don't know. I don't know the confession in their last breath. I cannot tell you guys for sure one way or the other. But I do know this. It's appointed on the man wants to die, and I don't get to make the appointment. And I would hate to stand before God and God go, Dan, why are you here? I didn't call you home. And I would have to, I would have to answer to God, I put my hope in death instead of life in Christ. You guys, I promise you, life will get hard. And this conversation might not mean anything to you tonight, but I want it to mean something to you down the road because you're gonna have friends who profess Christ that have been told online, and I have studied this and watched this a lot online in the last couple of weeks. I've watched videos online from people that I've followed and listened to, and they will tell you if you're a Christian and you take your life, you shouldn't do that, but you'll go to heaven. I don't see that in scripture, but I also don't see that you won't. But I do see this idea that God knows my days. He's the one that calls me home. And until he calls me home, I'm gonna stay right here in the hope of Christ because he will help you in any circumstance and situation. And it is up to us to determine what perspective we're gonna have in the midst of that temporal despair Am I gonna keep an eternal perspective and the hope and the promises that God makes to me that he will never leave me or forsake me? So I hope that helps you guys in this conversation when it comes to suicide because it happens a lot in our own community and it's a terrible thing. If you're mentally ill and you find someone who's got mental challenges, listen, God takes all that into consideration. He's a good judge. But if I have had a bad day in my, how many times have we heard people for the, for the, not a good reason. Take your own life. Oh, he had so much joy. But that person took their hope and put it in death instead of Christ. Christ has victory over death. We sang it earlier tonight. I want to close with the song and then we'll be done. I'm going to close with the song by David Crowder, All My Hope Is In Jesus. And I want you guys just to quiet your hearts for a second. Let God speak to you. If you know someone who's ever in this idea of suicide or considering it, you call a leader and you reach out to someone right away, you guys, because this is a hard conversation to have and that's what we're here for, okay? So I would say, may this, for everyone who can hear my voice tonight, may this be our confession that we're about to hear. In Acts chapter 16, I'll leave you with this. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. In the middle of the night, they're singing songs and hymns to God, and their chains fall off, and they're freed. A couple things out of that. If you're in chains, and you feel like you're trapped, and you can't find your way out, you sing songs, hymns and songs, and you, all you have to say is, Lord, all my hope is in Jesus. That's it. And your chains will fall off. And then the Roman soldier, when he figured out they escaped, he thought the Roman soldier would have been killed for that and he was about ready to take his own life. And right before he was about ready to take his own life, Paul and Silas says, don't kill yourself, we're all still here. I want every one of you to look around the room real quick. Don't you ever think that's the answer. It's just not. Death is not our hope. Christ is our hope. 
And don't you dare kill yourself because we're all still here. And we will help you walk through anything you need help with. We will despair unto death, as Paul says, but there's nothing God can't help me through. Do not make a permanent decision over something that's gonna be temporary because this too shall pass. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're good and we're grateful, Lord, for your word because your, Lord, your word shows us the hope. As we looked at that manger scene earlier tonight, Lord, we see that manger scene and that little baby that fulfilled the promise that you made so long ago. And we get to see it. we're on the other side of that, Lord. So I pray that we are a group of people that have that confession because of your fulfilled promises, promises made, promises kept, promises yet to be fulfilled. But we see your goodness in that. And may we be a group of people who have that confession that no matter what happens, no matter what life brings our way, that we can say in the midst of tears and brokenness, all my hope is in Jesus. For it's in his name we pray, amen. Love you guys, you're dismissed.